Our first scripture reading comes from Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on the hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to the Father who is in heaven. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 16. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. This is the word of God. In our sermon series here, in loving your neighbor. And last week, I don't have my stuff together yet. Hold on a minute. And last week, we looked at our call to love ecumenically that is, love between different denominations and churches. Well, this week, we go public with our call to love. And we at Christ Central have this foundational vision point that we will be a church and people that are about the redemption of all creation. Which means uh, we believe our faith is called to the public arena, is therefore the public good and a central part of God's public face. I think it has been easy for us to either forget that altogether or, or forget that the gospel of Jesus Christ is why we do all that we do publicly. Either we need some guidance and hope from God's word today for our call to public love. As I look for the scriptures that make, made sense for this sermon, the two that came up the most were the two that you have before you. In the first from Matthew, we see Jesus do something revolutionary with biblical redemption. He is saying that through him, the faith of the Jews would go from being a fairly private faith to one opened in the public arena. That, that what God had done and would do through his people, his church would, would automatically have a public effect and, and a public love for the world around them. We are called to exercise God's public love by first being in the public arena, secondly, doing it for the public good, and finally, by being part of God's divine publicity stunt. In our Matthew passage, Jesus preaching on a mountain, a message aptly called the Sermon on the Mount. I believe though he is speaking publicly again, he is raising and casting a look at this point at his disciples and saying, you who follow me are the salt of the earth. 
and you who follow me are the light of the world. And all sorts of images and applications come to mind with salt. Salt being used back then as today as a preservative and as seasoning, but on the other end as an additive to manure to make the fertilizer work better. And then light being the counter to darkness, showing people where to go. Light being guidance. Like salt and light, Jesus is calling believers today, as he did his disciples back then, to have an outside presence and application. To be about and in the public arena. Look with me at verse 13 and 14 in the Matthew passage. It says here, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Then he goes on to say, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it goes and it gives light to all in the house. The same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Okay, so salt does not lose its saltiness. And light does not get lit to be hidden. Jesus is speaking about lights being hidden and salt losing its flavor or being trodden into the street to make a point. And his point is this. If salt is not applied to meat to preserve, or to food for taste, or manure for fertilization. It ends up just being walked on as another piece of dirt or sand. It is not salty, because it is not being used like salt. And if light is put under a bed, or not on a stand, or on a hill, it is no good at being what it is. Light, when it's lit, is automatically out there, where the darkness was and is all around it. And salt the salt when it's all over and in something other than itself. Salt on salt is not salty. No one says, man, this salt is salty. We'll say, man, this piece of chicken's kind of salty. Why? Because salt has been applied. But salt in and of itself, we don't call it salty until it's applied to something else. Believers in Jesus, you were chosen privately by God, but put by God in the world. God is spreading and shaking out his people all over the earth like salt and putting them in strategic places, and the strategic being his definition of strategic, places in the dark to bring light. But bottom line, put, and put in places there to be shared out in and for the public arena. Like light and salt, the Lord is calling his followers to be in and all over the world to be a public presence. What this means is twofold. Wherever God has shaken you out or settled you in or set you up in, be engaged. Don't just be somewhere just to be somewhere and anywhere as if you were just anyone. No, if you are a follower of Jesus, God has freed, as Peter says, or loosed and called believers as light and salt to be somewhere and everywhere to be salting and lighting in schools and communities and neighborhoods and all kind of clubs and government stuff and businesses and entertainments and all sorts of public institutions. 
I just want believers to ask themselves when they find themselves anywhere, just consuming, working, waiting, enjoying, sucking it all up, what are you doing there? What is God doing there through you? Because you are called to be there, as in be salt and light there, not just exist there. Why? Because as God's salt and light, you are different. We don't like that. But Jesus looks at his people and says, guess what? You're salt and light. Why, Lord? Because I made you salt and light. But not only to be different, but to do different and make a difference. To do good for the public good by doing mercy and justice. Our Matthew passage talks about salt providing taste. And then the idea of salt preserving nature. Salt's preserving nature. It gives a food. And then as an additive to fertilize and help produce more and better crops. And then when it says that you believers are a city on a hill, he's saying that the light from the city on a hill gives light to all the communities and people around them, right? Light that they didn't have to pay for or couldn't provide for themselves, but done by someone else that says city over here, direction for safety from the dark, and it helps keep criminals at bay and ferocious animals, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And you know what God is calling his followers to do? To do good publicly by being merciful to people. How? Like salt, by doing whatever believers can do and do to make a tough and mean and lifeless world because of sin easier and tastier for people to digest and live and get hope and life out of. To do whatever it takes to stave off death and darkness. I remember when we moved to the Belmont neighborhood, one of the first things we did was we got lights on our house, on each corner. It's pretty dark there at night. Nobody had lights. Some neighbors complained, I can't go to sleep at night because of your lights. But what was interesting is when one of us got a little bit of light, the whole corner was lit up. So the folk who said, we can't afford lights on our homes, we would love to have lights, and we put our lights on, and it lit up a whole, I mean, just four little 90-watt bulbs lit the whole intersection of our neighborhood up. I mean, have you ever imagined, I think it's hard for us to, to think about what it means to have light going out as we travel the roads, private companies with their lights on help, help you see where you're going. If you think about the gas station, when you have issues, you don't even have to buy gas and you can go in the gas station. It's some of the best light in the world if you're having problems. Christians, some of y'all, should be like that, that BASF commercial that says, we don't make some of the things you use, we make some of the things you use better, right? Well, the gospel says that believers live thinking, acting like they may not have caused the mess you're in, that you or someone else might have caused you, but we come to offer mercy freely to make it better, to do mercy, to let me be basic here, to just be nice and helpful to people. To do what it takes to make it not so dark 
and life so tasteless and unproductive for those who can't do it for themselves, for those left in the dark and without hope. Believers, be salt and light. Do mercy. But not only mercy, but do justice. When we consider the nature of light and justice, pretty clear. It is a call of believers in this world to bring all that was done in the dark as wrong into the light. It is a call publicly to help people walk in right and good ways as they get through life as human beings and citizens, to bring justice where there's been dark and hidden agendas and histories against people or benefits hidden from people that are justly, that is justly theirs and to show how the wrong they are experiencing is not theirs to bear or bear alone. And to add to this, look at what our Peter passage tells us in verses 13 through 17. He's talking to believers here. He said, be subject to the Lord's sake to every human institution. Whether it be to the emperor supreme, the top guy, or the governors are sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put the silence of ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor, it says. I hope you see why God is calling Christians to submit to, to be under to work for and with the good of the earthly public authorities. To bring justice where justice needs to be brought. Not for the public's or the king's justice only, but as that justice is congruent to God's higher justice. Now submit in a democracy gets a little wild. Because we have freedom of speech. Back then, you say too much about the emperor, you get your head chopped off. Today, say a lot about the president, got a lot of running on Facebook, right? You get a lot of publicity. But in a democracy, submission might mean submitting to the governmental processes like voting and picketing and appealing the government as allowed by the United States, even civil disobedience, like the civil rights movement did, as citizens, as citizens, or running for public office, but to do it with an eye for justice, of getting the government to deal with those who are evil and hurting and taking advantage of others. Peter says that believers are involved publicly to silence the ignorance of people. And I think that means two things. First, to silence wrong view, worldview of Christians. Like people say, Christians, they're all about themselves. They don't care about anybody else. To silence that mess. But secondly, that people who don't know real justice, who do unjustly like fools, would be stopped. Not only stopped, but be revealed as unjust. Y'all didn't know that the church was the real Justice League, did you? Like the superheroes in this world, sort of. Like the broken, messed up superheroes y'all get now in those movies. Like the real messed up Superman, the messed up Batman, that's y'all. Call to make sure people's lives just aren't overlooked. To make sure when you see some wrong going on, 
you should think to yourself, wow, there's wrong over there. And guess what? I'm a believer. I think my Lord's about righteousness and truth and dignity and honor. Maybe, just maybe I should get involved in this. He says in verse 16 that the Christian's involvement with what can be an evil and sinful world is not about being wrapped up in sin. Because you get the other side, right? Christians shouldn't be involved with all this stuff. Christians shouldn't be on this committee. Christians shouldn't be uh, running for office. Christians shouldn't be voting or picketing. And I'm telling you right now, we as a church and your pastor, that ain't my job. I ain't a picketer. I'm not a lobbyist. I preach the gospel to you. Now you go be a good citizen and get involved, right? We're not saying Christ Central Church ain't getting together with the matching shirts, right, to do it. We're about the gospel, the word, sacrament, and discipline, all right? But I want you to consider as you hear the gospel, your involvement as individual citizens and as people who sometimes get together small groups to do things. Now here is the mistake we often make, that, they, that people would look at Christians and say, You can't get involved in public things that aren't the church. That is sinful. Those things have sinful, idolatrous ends. And let me tell you, that is true. How many of you work jobs that have a God-eternal Jesus end to it? Huh? How many of us don't work for companies and stuff that are just for profit only? or some political end, or something like that. Very few of us. So what Peter is saying, don't consider your involvement with those things to be a adding to the sin of this world. In other words, not only don't use it to do your own sin, but don't consider if you are involved in these things and you are bringing justice and mercy to bear in those things that you're adding to the sin. Not a chance. As a matter of fact, your involvement in those groups should be one that uncovers the sin and injustice and brings mercy to those things. Dr. Cornell West the famous sociologist, scholar, author, speaker, and fellow believer, said that we should not forget that justice is what love looks like in public. Justice is what love looks like in public. But lest we get it twisted when we talk about justice and mercy, let me go back to the salt and light idea. This is not just about going to Africa. Right? Or, 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 or trying to get some bus trip to the inner city. This is about bringing justice and mercy, not that those things aren't important, but this is about bringing justice and mercy where you are as much as where you could go to bring it and be informed or touch or touching it, right? Some of you Christians here live in and next to broken, seemingly incompetent, language, hopeless, unmotivated, visibly ugly community schools, neighborhoods, cities, and leadership with bad job and work environments and, and bad wages and mistreatment of certain people groups. 
And you're right there next to it. You live in the city with it. They need mercy and justice. Be salt and light and bring and submit to government to help it be good and better. Better schools, more affordable food, right? More programs needed and all that kind of stuff. Just helping someone next door or the next neighbor over there or working with a group who is doing it. But, especially some of the people in our churches. You live in high achieving, competent, beautiful, driven, gotta be perfect, gotta be fit, can't break, can't be wrong, gotta be the great hope and golden child and can't have problems publicly. You live in that kind of community and people and family. I got news for you. Those communities need mercy. See, we forget. We think that because if you got it, a nice car, a nice house, a good career, that somehow you don't need mercy, they need mercy too. Those communities need relief to not be perfect. Freedom from, you know, free to be broken and then to get justice and hold accountable the family traditions and business models and ethnic and ethnic cultural oppression that wrongly lives off and sucks the life and love and dignity and family and joy out of people in exchange for what? For money or membership or status or acceptance of some sort, that is an unjust exchange rate. That you would exchange everything just to be accepted. That you would exchange your family and, and your sense of worth and, 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 and your, your relationship with God to get ahead. And some communities require that. Because you have to be perfect. And you have to be good and you can't have a mistake, and you can't have a problem. And by all means, if there is a problem, keep it covered up. Who told you that? Believers, bring mercy and justice to those situations too. Believers, public love is mercy and justice, doing good and good works of salt and light, freed by God, loose, spread out by God to do good. And as, as ambassadors of God's kingdom of salt and light, mercy and justice. But not only that, we are called to be part of God's publicity stunt. You know one of the bad words that a church like ours could get? Inauthentic. Ooh, cool churches like us. We don't want to be inauthentic. It's bad publicly to be inauthentic or not real in the world. The cool Christians don't want people to believe that they're doing a bait and switch on them. And so we Christians do things and say things like, we just want to love our city. Just love your city. Now, that is not only an inauthentic statement. It is simply not true about why God has Christians out here loving people. Just to love people. Just to love your city. It's a lie. 
We don't have to lie. We need to be authentic. Well, well, let's see. So here's the authentic public statement from Christians to the world. It is going to get worse and we're pointed over the next two sermons after this one. But here it is. Jesus says this in our Matthew passage, verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And then look at the Peter passage. After asking the question, why do Christians publicly uh, love and, and love the public with mercy and justice? Why? Verse 15, because it is the will of God. Then verse 16, we are servants of God. And in verse 17, we fear God. We are not doing the will of the public for the public. We do what we do publicly because it is what God wants, and we are not contrary to public belief, just public servants. We are servants of God in the public arena, and we don't fear being thought of as inauthentic or rejected or being thought of as too Jesus-y by the public world. The Bible says we fear God, and we don't do it so that we can feel or look good to others. We do it so that God would get the attention and look good, so that God would get the good feelings and get the glory. That if God is pleased, then that is all that matters because he is the architect and chemist behind all mercy and justice and love in its highest and most beneficial form. Understand then, you Christians, engage in public love, mercy, justice, being involved in caring and all of that to show what your God is like and not who believers like or what we believers want to look like. Though we hope to be more like our God, because truth be told, we believers can be fickle and fail in their public loves. So we need to show others by our actions that he, our God, is always merciful and always just and always engaged and involved from the lowest to the highest. That no injustice escapes him and no cry for mercy is not heard by him. Our public love is a publicity stunt of the real thing, of our God in and on the earth. I don't know how we got to the point where mercy and justice has somehow been lifted from an explicit exposition of the God of the Bible. It's almost like we're afraid to be caught doing good for Jesus. It's almost like we want to mix in and and get into the point where, hey, look, we don't know whether they're Christian or not, right? We are so afraid to get involved because somebody might ask us, why are you doing what you're doing? And we're going to say something, we are going to be tempted to say something incredibly inauthentic and not true. I just want to love the city. Because I love God. The God of the Bible. Why? Because Jesus has shown me mercy. That's why. Who? Jesus. Oh, Lord. One of those Christian people. Why are we so afraid of that? 
For not only is our call to public love a publicity stunt to show what God is like, but to be a testimony, you know, like an infomercial testimony of what God does. By calling people salt and light, God is calling us to embody what the gospel does for people who were once lost or who get lost and stray and whom God reached. We believers are God's publicity for how God has loved people who needed mercy and required justice to stay his and with him. When believers go public with their faith and to the public with their faith in action, we Christians proclaim God's glory, as Matthew says, and that glory is a word that implies divine influence over everything broken in the dark. Sure, Jesus says that we are called to be salt and light, but only because he is the light that lights our fire, and he is the salt that makes those who are mere stones salt. We do public love because God is not afraid of public displays of affection for us. The Bible teaches us that like salt and light, God in Christ came public, coming as a human. And he put himself right in the middle of our human dilemma and our human crap pile, right? Right in the middle of our brokenness, right in the middle of our distasteful relationship with God. And in a public display of God's explicit love, like Cornel West said, on the cross, in the raw, naked, on a hill, light, light, light on a city on a hill, under the submission of the Roman government, God loved out loud with mercy and justice through Jesus Christ. It was his public shame, his becoming the salt in our mess and our crap and the light in our dark and dank places. It was because of Jesus that we have tasteful relationship with God, and now we can pass that on to others in the public arena. You don't want to see some good old-fashioned PDA, public displays of affection. Don't go to Carowinds. Here come the young lovers. Some teenagers not there with mom and dad around. Some newlyweds. You know. Got the matching shirt with the name on it. That might have been gone out. I remember back in the day they had the thing in the mall where they'd press the, sh- the names on the shirt. And everybody, Okay. They'll be in line, them long, you know, cow lines where you got to wait for the ride. And I'm disturbed because it's hot and I just want to get on the ride. And they happy the line is long. When it's supposed to be one person per area, it becomes two. And you're like, oh, my Lord, why? And you know what you hope? They stay ahead of you, but they don't say, snake around and then beside you. Where's the youth pastor when you need him? <laughs> and then the line, people always say, get a room, right? Well, you really don't want to say that to the kids in the youth group, right? But it is selfish. That's how I feel. It's distasteful and unfair to force others to participate in an engagement they get nothing from. And some of us, we just jealous. When Christians love publicly, 
Did you know they and their God are engaging in a present, effectual mercy and justice bringing public display of love and affection for the world to see? But unlike our PDAs, that the world would see and taste and possibly experience how good and loving God is in Christ Jesus. Our justice and mercy is us loving God out loud and God loving us out loud. And the world benefits. Amen? Let us pray.